What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, the morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today is time for Atlanta. And Atlanta is going to feature Chris Sale and that trade happen. It does change things a little bit and makes it more of a complete repertoire at the moment. I'm going to go through all these guys, including, of course, Spencer Strider. And by the way, if you haven't gone to the site and checked out all the things that we're working on for not just this year in PLX and uh, PitchCon, which, by the way, is January 24th to 28th. Go to pitchbills.com slash PitchCon. We're changing the page right now. We're making it so you can actually uh, contribute to the event of raising $10,000 for ALS, where we take 0% of it and send it all to uh, the ALS Foundation. Uh, you can go check that out. We'll have the site up, I think, later this week, fully updated, so you can donate early. Um, but I uh, go check that out. We got all these fun things we're working on for this year. Um, we have a mobile app on the way, <laughs> believe it or not. We have this thing called the Pro Dashboard. We have plans, of course, for the baseball bar and possibly a fantasy platform as well. And I outline it inside of that article. So go check it out. It's a way for also me to showcase, hey, look, you are considering getting PL Pro Lifetime and this is what you're going to be getting. So um, we are not just uh, sitting on our hands, just trying to do the same old, same old. We're trying to truly make the baseball media company that you want to exist. Uh, and uh, my whole goal here is to run this for as long as possible. And yeah, create that stuff with you guys without selling out. <laughs> I want to make this for all of you to so help us get there. Okay, Atlanta. Hi, Spencer Strider. Should he be SB number one? I go back and forth. I currently have Garrett Cole as SB number one just because I think it's safer uh, and I like safety with my early starting pitchers. I have no problem with anyone in an NFBC league, especially in a 15-teamer where I think the necessity to have the distance for strikeouts or at least having that elite strikeout totaled so that the back end of your starting rotation is not going to provide as much as it is in 12-teamers. I do understand why Strider should be going SP number one for that reason. Also, win totals will be there like Eric Cole's. The question, though, is the impact on ERA. And ERA is an interesting one. When you really think about it, like a 3 ERA versus a 3-5, how much better is that? That's about, um, those 50 points are about 15% or so of a difference. And then while you see strikeouts, let's say it's 200 versus 250. Well, of course, that 50 strikeouts is a bigger impact, right? Now, the worry I have about Strider is the fact that he allows a lot of hard contact. But Nick, he misses so many bats, he does. He really does. It just makes a larger risk-reward. And that's a little worrisome. I mean, you are getting this, you are getting that strikeout production, but it's not as clean where he might have like a 3 ERA or a 2.5. I know the FIP is underneath it. And that's because it treats all contact equally, save for home runs. And that's just not the case for Spencer Strider. I think that's just... We have the data that understands that the quality of contact is worse for Strider. His four-seamer, believe it or not, has an ICR over 40%. And so does the slider, actually, um, at times, too. So these pitches get hit. They do. But when they are executed, I mean, it's unbelievable. The swing strike rates on that slider at like 31%, I think, for lefties or righties. is it? They're both, I don't know, lefties, righties, doesn't really matter. The slider is just dominant against both. The four-seamer actually is not the most overwhelming pitch against lefties. It's only like a 13% swinging striker, which is great, but that's Strider. This is supposed to be the fastball. And that makes me a little concerned. It's why there's been a lot of focus. Um, it's why Eno keeps saying, hey, Strider, please learn a changeup. And he only had a 51% strike rate against lefties with that changeup last year, so he couldn't really depend on it. That's the issue. I actually wonder if Strider could learn a fastball, which is just really the four-seamer 
And then you really widen your fingers like a, like a, actually it's not really a four seamer, it's a two seamer where you widen your fingers a little bit. You don't go full split. You just want to slow down the ball a little bit and add a little extra drop. That's all you're trying to do. It's actually to me, um, what I've always believed Felix and Zach Greinke through with their changeups. I could be very wrong. I've actually seen, I think I've seen some contention with that, um, with a circle change grip, but it's a general concept is, you know, having still throwing it like it is a fastball still and just not having to throw with your ring finger, which is a common problem of those trying to do circle changes where if you just don't have a feel for your ring finger and you need to have your index finger involved, it just doesn't work. It's what it was for me. That's why I threw a fastball. I loved it, but many people do. Some don't. So Strider could do that and adapt. I also have a little bit of concern for injury. I do believe more in Garrett Cole's health than I do Spencer Strider's. But Nick, he's done, you know, he's he's gotten so many innings and all that kind of stuff. This conversation about health is really hard to have. Um, I think really the most assured one is the extremes. That is, those that just every year get hurt. James Paxton, hi, what's up? You have the injury-prone tag. Okay, then we see, I think, the extremes like Garrett Cole. You just don't get hurt. You know, and that's great. And then we're really cool there. I think those in between, it's more of a shrug. Because just because they threw a lot of innings this past year or two years does not mean that all of a sudden they're not going to this year. There is an argument to be made, like, look at Jesus Lazardo and Pablo Lopez. They were both guys that we didn't think would be able to throw 150 innings, and they have now. Pablo's on for two straight innings, two years now, after really only doing 100 before that. Same with Luzardo in 2022, and then 2023, he threw a lot more than that, right? So... You don't really know uh, what you're going to see in some ways. Like, hey, because they haven't thrown a lot, they're going to throw more this year and so on and so forth. And I do worry a little about the about Strider just is it's just so high octane that I wonder if that that I should be leaning more Garrett Cole because there is just a little bit more safety in how many innings you're going to get from Cole. It's up to you. I'm leaning Cole as my SP1 because of that, but I have no problem with anyone saying, no, Spencer Strider is just going to get better. He obviously is the leading candidate for the most strikeouts in the future year, and I, I totally get it. Okay. Um, that was so much more on Spencer Strider than I expected. Uh, Max Fried is a very interesting one. There's two sides to this. Obviously, speaking of injuries, you have his forearm question, right? It bothered him last year, and... We don't really know if he's okay. He also had a blister at the end of the year. I'm not really worried about that one. He said it was like a hot spot and they wanted to protect him for the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. What I think is undervalued about Max Fried, and once again, going back to the whole um, FIP conversation, is how good Max Fried is with his four-seamer against the right-handers. And if you remember a conversation with Juan Soto talking about different pitchers and what they throw, Max Fried has a four-seamer that acts more like a cutter when it goes glove side, that is inside of right-handers. And back in 2022, because that's just a larger sample than the 77 plus innings of Max Fried, thus you also had like the forearm injury and the hotspot and stuff. It was kind of a weird year, even though he had a 255 ERA and a 113 whip and a 26% K rate. Uh, that four seamer was a sub 30% ICR to right handers. Like 25, 30% of the time throw, actually, maybe even 35% if I remember correctly. That's remarkable to say the least. You don't see that. You get excited at like 35%. Under 30 for any pitch thrown above 30% of the time or even above 25% of the time is ridiculous. And this is what Free does. And his sinker is so good inside the lefties. So he knows how to go inside with both of his fastballs. He has a curveball that he throws to both batters. He has a slider as well. He has the new changeup that he now throws to right-handers that actually becomes a good 20% swing strike rate pitch for him. This is how he gets it done. And there is something to be said about the curveball being a little bit too hittable. I think 
that there's this balancing act that he's trying to have of getting enough strikes with it while being too hittable at times. The slider is not the back foot offering that I want it to be, especially with that four seamer acting like a cut. Like you could throw this slider underneath it and it's not really doing that. Only a 12% swing strike rate uh, last year. And I think it can go up against both lefties and righties. It's just not the largest sample, just 15% usage last year. So Freed has all of the tools. And it's the best situation you could hope for, pitching for Atlanta, six innings constantly, so many wins, great ratios. Like, he is so steady, the only question is health. I don't know. Uh, I love the fact that when Max Reed pitches, I am stoked and pumping my fist. And that's a good thing to say, and I really want to emphasize that with all injured guys. Anyone that has an injury risk, as long as in 12-teamers, you know that when they start, you're happy, that is always a positive pick to me. Now... When you draft it, obviously, is another element, but there's something to be said about picks that you make in your fantasy drafts that only benefit your team, as opposed to picks where you don't know if you're going to get production that helps them or not. And it really matters more around like the 40th and 50th starting pitcher picks, so really around like pick 140, 150 is where that starts to really be a factor, I think. But with Max Freed, it's harder to discern. I think we'll get a better sense of this in March, and I traditionally what happens is that guys like Max Freed, they look good and they have the velocity. Everything is fine in March and in spring. And then the draft stock goes back up. So I'm probably going to have Freed around 15 or so. I just think his production is too awesome, (laughs) too uh, steady to deny at this point, especially when wins are a premium um, these days, considering how few innings guys throw consistently. So, of course, as I mentioned, I'm going to talk about Charlie Morton, but really Chris Sale going to Atlanta now. Uh, we also talked about it on the OTC if you want to hear Eric Smolsky's opinion about it um, in detail. And he also convinced me a little bit to be slightly more favorable than I was before. But also there's Bryce Elder and a bevy of backup options for Atlanta. And we're going to talk about him, including Hurston Waldrop. Who is that? Um, we're talking about all of those after this break. So let's start with Charlie Morton. I'm worried and not worried at the same time. So what's so interesting about Morden is it really is just a curveball. Like the curveball is everything for him, but it gets kind of hit hard by righties, which is surprising, right? Because you would think, oh, wait, that's breaking away from right-handers. That should be a really good pitch uh, and get tons of swing strikes and uh, be really hard to hit. It's kind of close to a 40% ICR, 35 to 40%. That's not great. Uh, That's why you have a higher hit per nine. But really, the walk rate was bad because he just couldn't throw strikes with stuff. His cutter strike rate dropped 10 points from 67 to 57. And uh, that's not good. (laughs) Now, it does suggest to me that Morden could be better. I think the cutter should be a really fantastic pitch against right-handers staying away from them. The four-seamer is okay. And the curveball should improve. Now, against left-handers, the curveball is dramatically better. It's kind of wild. I know that we do hear often you save sliders for right-handers and curveballs for left-handers. That's normally because you just have a better option against right-handers. And to see that the curve just does not allow hard contact constantly, I mean, it's an ICR thing under 30%. A lot of strikes with that. Also, the four-seamer isn't hit that hard as well um, by right-handers, which is kind of interesting. has more arm-side movement, and he sits away um, for right-handers, but down and away effectively, kind of like a backdoor sinker. And he utilizes that arm side movement to come back and sneak over the plate as opposed to the cutter that goes off. It's kind of interesting. So Morden can work here. It's just volatile. And he turns into a cherry bomb at times. It was a 364 ERA last year, but a 143 whip. 
And it has also taken him times through the years to get warmed up. I used to joke like it would took until May and then it took until June. I joked last year it was going to be taking until July and then it did. It took until July uh, for Charlie Morton to actually wake up. So that's a problem. And I don't know if you're going to be able to make a decision on Charlie Morton on April 20th if he's not doing well, right? A couple weeks into the season. So keep that in mind with Morton. I don't see him as a lock in my 12-teamers as someone I'm just super happy when he starts. 15-teamers, I think it's something you have to go for, especially with the win potential. And generally, ERAs, that should be underneath four. It's just the whip was 143. The walk rate was bad. You have to get that cutter back to get more strikes with that pitch. I mean, you just cannot have it as an overall 57% strike rate across 10% usage. Not good enough. The four-seamer dropped to just 61% uh, strike rate and 32% usage. So you have to be better. And uh, hopefully... Charlie will find that. Chris Sale. Um, Chris Sale is a little different. And the, okay, so it's a positive that Chris Sale has gone to uh, Atlanta. That's that's pretty obvious to me, right? Um, it's just a better situation all around for him where it's a better defense. It's a better offense. It's a higher win potential. And the one thing that uh, that Eric Samolski highlighted that I actually really can get behind is Chris Sale feeling like this is a reset for him, that he wasn't making good on his contract with the Red Sox. Atlanta signed him to a fresh two-year deal, and now it's a way for him to showcase, look, I'm going to make myself worthy and have a better purpose uh, for the season ahead. A healthy offseason can really gear up, be, um, be surrounded by a clubhouse that is very much in tune with winning. I can see it working out where all of a sudden he's more consistent. That said, it was very volatile when it comes to the skill set last year for Chris Sale, and injuries have plagued him for ages. Even in 2019, the biggest season we've seen for him uh, since, for I mean, yeah, that was the largest season for ages in 2020, 2021, 2022, barely saw him. Last year was only 102 innings. We saw 150 innings in 2019 from Chris Sale, and even then was injury marred, right? That was the velocity going up and down as we could visibly see he was hurt and not exerting himself. So we're going to get that again, right? I mean, the idea that all of a sudden we're going to get like 150 to 180 innings from Chris Sale just seems too, uh, too optimistic. And I'm an optimistic guy. That said, I feel like we're going to get production from him every single time he pitches. And as opposed to Max Freed, you are seeing Chris Sale go later in drafts at a point where you might have four starters that are locked in by then. And that makes me feel okay about getting Chris Sale as my SP5. I really hope that the four-seamer doesn't fall down to 91 consistently. It sticks around that 94-95. He did average 93.9, but by the second half, there was a lot of games of 91-92. Not necessarily a bad fastball in those games, but it does suggest, okay, hold on, there's a step back happening here. The slider gets hit a little too hard. It's surprisingly a 39% ICR across the board. That's not great. This is supposed to be the pitch for him, right? He's really a fastball slider guy. He does have this changeup. The changeup is more... Um, it, it used to be better, essentially. I remember even back in like 2000, uh, maybe 21, when he first came back, I was like, hey, the changeup isn't quite there yet. And I hope it does, but it really hasn't for a bit. It's not really been this big, overwhelming pitch that we used to see from him. While the sinker was actually introduced last year against lefties, and it did really well, he did a great job of 
getting that pitch inside to lefties. And I honestly feel like Chris Sale should be throwing more of those sinkers inside to lefties than the four-seamer, kind of like how Max Fried does. So are we going to see Chris Sale stave off father time and get better for a peak season at 35? It's possible. There is a decent chance that it either is exactly the same skill set, which I think is fine. He won't have a 4-3 ERA again, or it could be worse. So I'm back and forth on this, but I like to think that I'm more favorable than the current ADP, which I think is like 180 or something like that, 190 in BC, something along those lines. And I'm with Eric in that he should be around the top 40 or so and not in like 45, 50 range of SPs because I think the production is just going to be there every single time that Chris Sale does start. It's going to be beneficial for your teams. Bryce Elder um, is someone we shouldn't ignore. I think Bryce Elder does a good job of getting his sinker arm side against lefties and down, actually properly down. And it didn't get a lot of strikes, which is why we saw that 9% walk rate. It got uh, under a 60% strike rate doing that, but he nibbled. And the slider was still very effective against left-handers while the slider was dominant against right-handers. And he just has to jam a little bit more, I think, um, with that sinker against right-handers. And that's okay. And like this kind of worked. Um, the changeup isn't very good. And that's one thing that we say, got to say like, hey, stop doing that. Same with the four seamer. I don't really know why he throws that like at all. But there is something here with Bryce Elder as a streamer. Don't ignore that. I know you want to see the second half and go, oh, yeah, he's not very good. He's cooked now. Like, no, he was had a Vargas role going. That's great. But he was still good against weak opponents. And it's really good defense behind him. And he has good win chances. And he can go six innings. Like Bryce Elder should not be ignored. Um, just not chased in a 12-teamer. And 15-teamers, honestly, like, you could probably do worse than Bryce Elder as he should be starting every five days unless Atlanta makes another move. Now, on the fringe, there are a lot of arms, and it's possible that Atlanta moves on from Bryce Elder relatively quickly for one of these, but we'll see. I mean, we got Renato Lopez, who Atlanta is going to try to stretch out and give him a chance in the rotation. His four-seamer... Jumped up to a 98 mile per hour velocity um, inside the pen with a near 15% swing strike rate in really good shape on it that could excel the top of the zone. Um, if it's 50% high lock, it turns into more like 60% or so. There's something really cool. Um, the secondaries aren't very good though. And just a 54, 54% strike rate on his slider means that Raylo needs to change something here if he's going to throw that 30% of the time, and the other pitches just are not good. So I don't really see Raylo as that starter because he doesn't have enough of a uh, breadth of repertoire, but take a note of it and see if he does stretch these things out um, more so as a starter. You know, we didn't really see much of those secondaries outside the fastball and the slider because he was in the pen. Um, it is an interesting one, but I don't really expect the velocity to stay up at 98, uh, considering that he's going to be in the rotation now. Uh, Waskari Noah, yeah, remember him? Um, he got Tommy John, and now he's going to be fighting to get a rotation spot again. Really good slider, but terrible extension and terrible VAA. Uh, and that is why we don't really like Waskari Noah. Uh, I don't want to yeah, touch this. And I feel like it's just something to, to like look at and see like, okay, maybe Waskari Noah has changed something, but I feel like the fastball is just too bad and it's just a good slider, so he should be a reliever. Uh, Ian Anderson went under Tommy John um, surgery in April of 2023, so he should be back at some point this year. So just be aware of Ian Anderson's existence, and maybe he, in the process of relearning his mechanics, figures out how to be a little bit more consistent with his delivery. And that would mean that his command could maybe be good. Um, A.G. smith Shaver is super interesting because he has 17 inches of IVB, which is really good. And he has good extension in 94-95. 
but the VA is not good. And uh, I mean, it's like slightly below average and his high location is really low, like it's sub 40%. So there is hope that Smishaver can do some things with that IVB essentially and really lean into it. But then I feel like he needs more across the secondaries to set up that fastball. So he's just 21 and I'm going to be keeping an eye on Smith Chauver to see how he develops it, how he's using that four seamer, how is the slider and the curve developing. I've seen good changeups from him, but it's just about consistency at this point. And I think it's going to take some time for Smith Chauver to really be a solid um, arm for Atlanta. Dylan Dodd, Darius Vines. Yeah, I know we were excited about it. I was excited last year about it. It's it's one of those things where you might as well take a chance because it's such a good situation last year and the slider looked really good and the fastball command looked really good. I have more information than I do now um, than I've ever had in the preseason, which is so nice. I know these guys. Um, even when they pitch in the spring, I'm like, I know who they are and what they do. And Dylan Dodd, um, as I found out more in the season, yeah, not consistent and not good enough. And I don't want to touch that. Darius Fines just has a good changeup. And it doesn't have actually the massive movement that you'd really want from a number one offering. Uh, the other stuff is not good enough. And it's all fine at best, but Darius Vines should not be someone you target. And Alan Winans um, has a four-simmer that is not good. It is an interesting sinker change and slider mix. And when he had those moments of success, it was a lot of command, like really good command around the zone and out of it. Uh, it's possible that he can really lean into that approach and be that good nibbler. But I just don't think that... Uh, that Alan Winans has enough electricity to take chances on. I mean, his four-seamer has like a 70% ICR. Yes, ICR is 70%, which is just something you should not throw. And then lastly, there's Hurston Waldrop. This is the number one pitching prospect for Atlanta. He's a big name that you're going to be hearing about. And I know... I know it's the number two pitch of a splitter, and you say, Nick, that means you hate it, right? I'm like, yes and no. I can understand how Houston Waldrop uh, makes things work with it because he is an over-the-top pitcher. And over-the-top pitchers generally have more success with splitters. Why? Because they don't really need to change anything. And the the better the splitter is... Um, sorry, I'll take this back. The more over-the-top and north-south your delivery is, the better the splitter is. Because the way that they get tunneled and the way that they get the most movement is by going 12-6 with your arm through it. It's something when I used to throw one, I needed to focus on as much as possible. The more that I stayed on top of it, the more it looked like the fastball out of my hand and the more that it had tumbling action down. Waldrop does a really good job with this. And it's a very deadly Blakesdale blueprint, essentially. The only question I have is, does he have another pitch if that splitter isn't getting him enough strikes? And does his over-the-top delivery make him have poor VAA on that four-seamer that then makes it not as dominant as it needs to be, especially as a two-pitch pitcher. So I'm curious about wall drop. I think it's a fantastic situation. Um, I'm open to it being a major splitter focus is just, is he getting enough strikes on it? And what is the number three pitch for when he can't throw that for a strike? He needs something in the zone at 2-0 that isn't a fastball. What is that pitch? I'm very curious what it is. Um, but that is it for Atlanta. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And we'll be back every single day for Plus Pitch Podcast. Now, I have these now all recorded and uh, stacked up until we get through all of them. We've got like, what, 20 left? So stay tuned through all of January and check out, of course, the rotation articles on the site to get an early look at all these teams. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock and may your babas be low and your strikeouts high.